Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as writer, TV presenter, and ex-IP lawyer from At Allen's Legal, film critic for At Playground News, formerly the host of ABC's The Roast. Cereal is an anytime food. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Tom Glasson. Mr. Malk, live from Colorado. Oh, look, I'm beaming in from around the world. Hello, Sydney. Can you hear me? It's just, it is a fine and sunny, beautiful day here, and uh, you're coming in clear. Tom Glasson, do's points. <laughs> Tom, tell me in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, well, obviously, I just usually wait for the, the announcer to, you know, ladies and gentlemen, please be upstanding. And then the band starts, <laughs> and I just walk in and everyone knows. Hail to the chief. <laughs> Hail to the wanker. Um, no, I mean, these days, obviously, I can just, I see that little glint of recognition in the eye, and I try and diffuse the awkwardness, and I jump in and I say, yes, it was me. I was the the kid from the Hello, My God, Catholic Communications <laughs> PSA, and you know, we just we move on from there. It wasn't really, was it? No. I, you know, I met him though a couple of years ago. I was uh, at some birthday drinks down in Circular Quay, and for reasons I'll never understand, I started singing the song. Um, actually, I think it had just stopped raining, and so there was that beautiful, serene moment of the mist rising from the concrete and the smell of urine briefly washed away. But mm. another group heard me singing it, and they came over <laughs> and they said, D- "Did you recognise him?" And I went, "I who? I don't recognise who." They said that our friend at the bar was that boy. And so they took me over and I feel so sorry for this guy because he's just, he's, an, he's a guy now, right? Like he was in this weird yeah. ad from 84 or 5 or whenever it was. Parents forced him into it. Yeah, exactly. I, just, I didn't even know what it was selling. It, was it selling God? It's like going to church. Was it? Is that what it was? Because it's like, you know, now when you get ads that are, are for sort of things that you take as a given, like when they advertise FPOS or yes. or cans. There was one in nineties which was like they redid that song, so it's like uh, you're as cold as ice. A can is twice as nice. And I think they were trying to like beat out big bottle or something. But this guy, he was good good natured about it. And he was like, Yeah, it was me, whatever. You know, I don't know why I did it. Um but small world. It's Sorry, sure I still haven't is. answered your question. Uh, no. Hi, I'm Tom, I think it's probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got quite the bio floating around there on Twitter. I mean, you've, you've done and continue to do a fair chunk of stuff. Yeah, I've had a, a good mixed bag. I, I think it's the only way I could have enjoyed my life to this point. I, I'm horrific at just doing one thing for an extended period of time. And it's not anything to do with a attention deficit disorder. It's just I like being busy and I like the variation. Mm. Do you ever have a yearning to return to the uh, glittering annals of Alan's lawyers to go back <laughs> to IP lawyering? It's funny. I still get, I think once you've got the brand of lawyer, two things happen. You can never fully switch out. It's probably like the CIA. Like they, they'll come back and ask you questions, but your friends will continue to ask you questions. Just those informal, but please give me accurate legal advice moments. Um, but I do, like, I still maintain an interest in it, um, which is interesting because I didn't particularly while I was a lawyer, but given the area I was in, which was copyright and trademark and such, and, and 
became increasingly biotech. I think that's such an extraordinary field of science and innovation. You know, it's it's never been a more exciting time to live, Steve. Um, <laughs> when I do see updates, emails from my old colleagues coming out about company A has tried to patent the human genome, I, I do find that morally repugnant and academically interesting. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think I'll ever go back. Uh, I think that I was a good lawyer, but I'll, I'll never be a great lawyer. You're a better TV presenter than an arguer. Oh, I'm not sure there's a link there. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm not a great lawyer. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite takeaway food choice? Oh, that's out of left field. Uh, short answer, pizza. Slightly longer answer, I'm going to say Hawaiian pizza. Uh, longer answer still is a four-hour treatise in defense of Hawaiian pizzas. Uh, <laughs> it's such a maligned pizza, and yet... It is the first one to go. When when everyone does a group order, I will cop the flack and then I'll notice that the box is empty. Mm. Is it the pineapple that makes it the the butt of the the pizza joke? I think a lot of people have a real problem with pineapple, almost to the point of it being some sort of fruit hate crime, because they feel like it only belongs as a fruit, you know. And I think it's got a place on burgers, definitely. Mm. Uh, pizza, absolutely. I was once dared at college. It's one of those great times when a dare backfires on someone. Uh, I lost a bet and they said, all right, you're going to make a Hawaiian meat pie. So I reluctantly carved the top of this meat pie, put a little coil of pineapple on, added some cheese, bit of bacon, baked the thing again. It was one of the nicest things I've ever had. I miss the Hawaiian meat pie. I'm going to go on MKR next year and just dominate. Could you imagine serving that as the main course? to your instant restaurant round and uh, you'd have such a variety of responses, Tom. Yeah, look, it'd be different. I think that's what they're looking for by season 59 or whatever they're up to now. Yeah, someone would inevitably complain that you hadn't made the pastry yourself. Yes, I've actually never watched the show, so I'll just take your word for it. It's all it's all about one-upmanship. It hasn't been about food on My Kitchen Rules for five years, so <laughs> you'd be <laughs> That's the evolution of every TV show, isn't it? Never, it never oh. finishes up what it started as. Well, there's oh, there's some great examples of that, right? You look at Felicity, for example. Yeah. Uh, which started out as this sort of wonderful coming of age teen drama thing starring Kerry Russell, that they went, oh, we don't know what to do. Let's turn it into a time travel drama. Oh, see, I didn't know that. All I know is that JJ apparently got bored of it himself and wanted to turn Felicity into a spy, and the studio wouldn't let him. So he just gave control of that show to whoever it was that took it over. And he mm. then created Alias and did yes. that. But ultimately when he did Mission Impossible 3, I think it was, he immediately cast Kerry Russell as a spy because he thought, this girl's got it. She's perfect for it. Now she's in The Americans. Mm, I was going to say, how much is she killing it? And that season four is about to start in the US and it looks incredible. It's such a, it's not what the show I expected, but it's terrific. Yeah, no, I quite enjoy it. What's the most exciting thing you've ever done, Tom? Uh, I've jumped out of a couple of planes, so that's probably a, the easy answer. Um, I've got that weird, I'm, I'm one of the most cautious, you know, prudent people I know, but there's a streak of me that then relishes in jumping off bridges and out of planes. So skydiving in Switzerland with... Uh, the Swiss skydiving team was one of the life highlights. That was just a, a beautiful moment of 
being in the right place at the right time and having That's some crazy. family friends. How, how does that come to pass? So it's, it's a very convoluted story, but my dad, both my parents were teachers, but my dad taught uh, for a number of years the two sons of a, of a Swiss man who's, who was brought out here to basically get all the Nestle factories up and running. Sure. Uh, and one of those boys became a, an air Swiss pilot. The other one became a skydiving champion. And I was staying with them over in Veve. And one day he just said, uh, Tom, do you want to uh, come with me for a day? And I was like, sure, Phil. And the next thing we're jumping out the back of a, of a military cargo plane. <laughs> and they immediately popped the chutes, which initially disappointed me because I'd never done it before. And I was looking forward to the, the free fall. But they then popped flares. And I thought, this is kind of cool. <laughs> And then a Swiss fighter jet flew between us and spun us all around. Um, and we landed in the backyard what? of their friends. This, I know it sounds like the most made up story, but it was, they were all doing it because it was their friend's 30th birthday party in this, in Charlie Chaplin's mansion. And we land like in the property and I'm, I'm, how was I? I was 19 at this point. So I'm never going to beat that story in my life, but I was just so out of my depth. I didn't really speak French at the time. So I landed and just saw these beautiful people and quietly excused myself and <laughs> went home. That's this. Look, I think everyone, if we'll just take a moment to unpack everything that Tom said, we'll be able to process what the hell just happened. <laughs> if I could get that as my Twitter handle, I would, you know, I just don't know how to put that into a, a short story. What? Yeah, that's amazing, dude. And I love just the end of it. Everyone's pretty bye. Yeah. Were, it, honest to God, it was like, I think Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter is a model or was a model or something like that. So everyone there seemed to be straight out of a catalogue. And when you combine the accent with the beauty, with the fact that the average height in Europe seems to be about nine foot four and I'm not, uh, <laughs> it was just, I felt like that little kid at the Oscars who was talking about looking at everyone's kneecaps, uh, you know. Yeah, that's, man, that, that is amazing. So what do you find attractive then? If you were, um, you know, feeling in that situation, like, oh, everyone's done me out of here. Mm. What, what does it for you? Like physically, well, just massive fake boobs, obviously. Uh, no, I think <laughs> that's a great question. I, I, if I were to look at all of my, my close friends um, and talk about attraction, I guess, just to people, the single identifiable and consistent trait across everyone would be storytelling, you know, great mm-hmm. conversationalists because it's such an attractive quality. I think to, to know that any, at any given time, anyone in your group can just hold court. It's almost like for me, I, I'm not a religious person and I suppose the closest I get to that, that church spirituality moment is when I go see a, a film and the, the lights drop in a cinema. It's almost like that's a bit of a temple moment for me. And I think that when a, when a friend stands up and you can just see it on their face and they go, oh, let me tell you what happened last night. It's almost the same thing. It's almost like the lights drop on the world around you and you're in this, this story zone for a moment. So I think anyone who can do that and particularly the Australian sensibility of telling self-deprecating stories, uh, I think that's an eminently attractive quality in a person. Is that, is, are you a storyteller? Is that something that you try and maintain and, and build as a craft? It's my favorite thing, Steve. I mean, it's, it's right now I'm doing what I had dreamt of doing for, I guess, as long as you sort of start to have dreams about career, uh, 
is that I've taken a year off to just write and not write for a show or not write um, for anyone else. Uh, it's actually just the stories that have been clanging around in the back of my head for the better part of 10 years for some of these things. Uh, and I've just, you know, I saved up, uh, I gave myself the opportunity and now I'm just every day I'm getting up and, and writing and it is a joy. Have you surprised yourself with some of the output? Very much so. Uh, I spent the better part of this this project and this year working on what I <laughs> had very naively thought was going to be just a, an in and out screenplay. Figure out how you write it. You know, don't do it. A, don't do a course or anything like that. Why would you? Because I'm yeah. I'm a great writer. I've written TV, <laughs> so I know what to do. And they said this very simple rom com idea I had ballooned into the better part of a year making every mistake you could possibly make trying to write a screenplay but that in of itself was such a an invaluable process that when I hit the 50th wall one day and I just got fed up with it I just it was a Wednesday morning and I just went I'm just going to write something different for the rest of the week and I punched out a, a complete feature length screenplay in just short of three days and that's now in its third revision um, in consultation with some people over in LA so it's it's hit home really better than I ever expected. And um, it's quite exciting to see that maybe something might come of this one. That would be awesome. Yeah. Have you done the LA thing before? Have you been over to try and shop yourself around or to, to shop your writing around? It's, I did once. Uh, I haven't told many people this story because it was a bit weird at the time and the timing was all very strange. But when we were doing the show, uh, between season two and three. So I guess that was January 2014, I think it was. This is the roast. This is the roast, yeah. yeah. Uh, I got I got a, a phone call uh, from an agency, a big one, which was hugely surprising because we had barely glimmered on, in a, you know, on the Australian market. No one knew. You still say the roast and they go, oh, yeah, yeah cooking show. Um, <laughs> but somehow, I don't know if there'd been an Aussie who'd gone over or who knows what, or just complete misrepresentation, but they offered to fly me out. And I, I knew that I wouldn't be able to do anything because my mum was terminally ill and, and there was no way I was going to you know, be leaving the country in probably the next two years, but you don't turn down a free trip. So I just thought maybe I'll do a scouting trip. And it was one of the most surreal things of my life because I ended up in one of those rooms. And if you've watched any of those TV shows like Entourage or the movies, it's, it is exactly like that. You're in a room with about 15 people who all seem to have a brief about you that was wildly inaccurate. And you, they sit you up the end and they just blow smoke up your ass for a little bit uh, and then talk about your future. And they ask you these questions. And they, they opened up with, it's weird. On paper, I can see how they went down this line. And when you yep. use certain words, it does sound quite impressive because they simply said, so Tom, we understand that you are the host of a national nightly satirical news show in Australia. And just in that description, I went, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> yes. But then they followed up with, so essentially you're Australia's John Stewart. And I, you know, every part of me just put up a huge wall. And went, uh, that is wonderfully flattering to me and a huge insult to, to Mr. Stewart. You know, uh, we are a tiny show on a non-commercial network uh, and we're an ensemble, not a, a single show. And it was in that exact moment that I knew I'd lost half the room. Oh, and. Ouch. And in LA, you know, it's not sort of a 
you know, like you're wondering maybe if they've, they've drifted away. They don't hide it. <laughs> Laptops <laughs> shut, phones came out. Uh, I just saw half the room die. And it's because they're looking for the next big thing, you know. And if yeah. you're not prepared to believe you're that big thing, then they don't really see an interest. And at best, I saw a logical step for me was to come over and insert as a as nothing but a writer, like pull way back off TV again and just be a writer on one of the comparable format but vastly superior shows of something like Daily or Colbert. But you when you consider that... You could have been the next Tosh.0. <laughs> just offend everyone on a daily basis. <laughs> yes. But like, I mean, I would have, I, I've seen both of those shows in production um, in New York and it was brilliant to see it, but also quite fascinating to see how, how closely the, the productions mirrored each other. And so I think I could have probably, and I think anyone from the show on the roast could have inserted themselves in because the MO was the same. But from an agency point of view, you know, they, they take traditionally 10 to 15% of, of the talents cut and for a writer that is 10 to 15 percent of nothing so uh yeah there was no real love <laughs> between agency or uh, or me but maybe things change once once you've actually proven yourself as a screenwriter for instance and they see something so i won't name the agency because we might, <laughs> might want to that's about a third of hollywood that'd get knocked out if i, if I slam that one you mentioned before um, that a p- part of your decision around coming to LA, you know, whether or not was it was a thing, was that your mum was was terminally ill. Mm. Uh, and uh, sorry to hear that. Uh, are, are you okay to talk about that? Or pardon? Yeah, happy to. Yeah. Was it was it a long illness for your mum? Look, it was. It was. It was uh, type four um, globus. Oh, you know, I've forgotten the science of it now. Anyway, it was an inoperable brain tumor. Was the short of it. Oh wow. Um, and it was an extraordinary thing because, I mean, mum was such a uh, an intelligent, witty woman and she was, uh, you know, like National Librarian of the Year kind of thing. So she was an utter nerd. But I'll never forget the moment when we actually went in for the like, to get the results of the test. It was my brother, mum and myself. And the doctor, who, you know, like, there can't be many things worse than delivering this kind of news. Like not just you've got a tumour but you have the worst, most aggressive kind. Yeah. And so he said, this is what you've got. Uh, and he sort of paused and then he said, now, do you, do you want the specifics? Because they're not great. And mum just immediately said, oh, look, I'm a librarian. I'm detail-oriented. Let's, let's give me the facts. Let's work around it. Uh, and I think even that surprised him with a sort of upbeat attitude. But then he said, well, with this kind, we can really not give you more than about 10 to 14 months. Oh, gosh. And that just hung in the room for a second. I guess we all turned to to determine how we would react based on mum's reaction. And I saw her head cock slightly to the side and her, her eyes wandered up. And then she smiled and she said, well, on the upside, I won't have to vote again. And she'd just <laughs> been doing the maths of like when the next federal election was. <laughs> and it must be like the golden ticket for a, an oncologist to get that kind of response because you sit there and go, it's the one time they're not going to do what what is entirely an acceptable response and that's to burst into tears. But that set the benchmark for all of us from that moment. Mum insisted that like we change nothing, we do nothing different. And I think had it not been for that, uh, I certainly wouldn't have been able to keep doing the show every day uh, at, at a minimum. Mm. And it was amazing. She ended up, she lasted three years, I think. So about double what she was wow. given uh, and ultimately passed away on the 
about one o'clock in the morning of the last day's episode of the year. So uh, made it, you know, the entire way through, never missed an episode. Um, so I only had to go into work for, for that very final day um, with sort of with her not there anymore. So, yeah, it was it was a surprisingly palatable experience that I would never wish upon anyone else um, unless they had someone like my mum as the one at the subject of it all. Did your mum uh, ever experience, particularly in the later part of it, I don't know if the process was painful for her, mm. but did she experience, you know, a desire to be, to have the pain to stop? Uh, I mean, yeah, she was very much of that, you know, used to joke about it even before she'd gotten sick that, having seen her mum fade over about 15 years and in a very protracted, painful experience, both she and her sister were really adamant that they never wanted to go out that way. And I think in a weird way, mum was actually quite happy to know that it would be quite a quick end for her and it wouldn't drag the family through, through that kind of heartache. Um, she wasn't really in pain. It, it certainly by the end started to have a quality of dementia um, which you know is a is a really difficult thing as family and friends to to go through because when you see that that little haze go across a person's eyes and suddenly they don't understand where they are they don't necessarily even know who you are it's um, yeah that's an intense experience yeah thank you for sharing that that you know is, is a it's a real insight into something that. Oh, I'd like to say not a lot, but I think far too many people have to experience, you know, seeing a loved one go through a fairly, you know, horrible terminal kind of situation. Yeah, and the problem is, you know, and I think it's brilliant that, that Denton is now doing his series because there is such a weird stigma about talking about death and dying and mm. for some reason it's not socially acceptable. And certainly the weirdest thing is it seems to be really... Uh, look down upon to not react with the most solemn, serious, remorseful, you know, attitude. As soon as you actually speak with any form of upbeat, positive outlook on something, people seem to think like you don't care, uh, as opposed to saying, yeah. it's just another topic of conversation that I think we should talk about as freely as we can. Yep. Absolutely. Do you do anything special to remember your mum? We don't actually. I mean, every time I see in a movie where they've got, you know, some great tradition. I mean, there was that. What was that show with Liv Schreiber, which was sort of the anti entourage? Um, it's the character name. He plays like a fixer in Hollywood. Oh, Ray Donovan. Ray Donovan. Yeah. So you know, his family every year at his sister's death, they all get mm. together and do a shot in the boxing ring. I think that stuff's kind of cool, but at the same time, we were such a a family devoid of sentimentality in that respect. And we never really, you know, we don't have those heirlooms that we pass down and say, Oh, we can't get rid of this because this was mum's favorite napkin or something like that. And that's, that's an incredibly freeing existence. If, if anyone's looking to decide how they want to live their life, I would say don't imbue uh, human qualities into, into objects. Uh, and so I think that it, it hasn't been a day that we mark in the calendar or anything like that. We just, remember her when she pops into our our mind and and that's a much more lovely way to do it i think absolutely you've you've sat in front of a camera you've done yep. the tv show thing a little bit I'm, yep. I'm guessing given the opportunity you'd want to take it on more 
But if reality TV came knocking, what show would you love to star in? <sighs> there are so few. I actually watch very little TV, Steve, which is funny as someone who was on it for a couple of years. Uh, I had very little input to, to talk about other shows and certainly competitors. Um, and actually, to take you up on your first point, I, I have found to my surprise, I caught up with Mark from the show last year, mm-hmm. this for lunch, and he asked, you know, do I miss it? And it was interesting to me that until that moment, I actually hadn't thought of that question. But in of itself, that sort of answered it for me, and I clearly didn't. And I have not felt the pull back to TV at all. Uh, since doing the show uh, I don't know why um, I think maybe it's just I'm so excited about what I'm doing at the moment and finally getting to sure. to live the life I wanted to if it was a reality tv show though I'd, I'd like to think it would probably be something new that is good uh, rather than what's out there at the moment um, I've always been interested in the prospect of there was a tv show in the 90s called The Pretender I think uh, with a, a guy I can't remember the specifics of it, but he seemed to every episode he was doing something completely different and kind of pretending he was oh, that yeah, thing. Yeah. And, uh, I've been interested to know whether or not when you drop someone into a scenario, it's always amusing to me, you know, put a regular person into special forces training, put a regular person into uh, a professional sports team, put a regular person into uh, a frantic Michelin star kitchen and just see I think it's a great way of demonstrating actually how elite the elite are in something when you suddenly mm. give a point of comparison to someone who isn't. You know, it's like whenever you approach a new sport, it's not until you actually try it that you see how great the golf is between where you are and where people who get paid <laughs> to do it are, uh, which is why I, yes. I've stopped trying to convince people that cricket is a great sport because unless they've played it, you just actually don't appreciate the difficulties involved in it because it really does mm-hmm. come across as a phenomenally boring and people would even be reluctant to use the word support. So I, I've, I've given up on that fight. I now just say, if you want to have a net session or you want to play tennis, you want to go for golf, let's do that. And then we'll talk about the sport. Yep. Anyway, I think that would be an interesting TV show is to drop uh, a person each week into a, an entirely different scenario and see exactly how good they could get in the course of a week. What would we call it? Pretender 2. Uh, <laughs> Tom uh, Glasson's reality show. So you think you can this <laughs> backup plan? I don't know. <laughs> you ain't shit. What are you going to achieve in the next twelve months? Uh, that's a good question. I would like to, in in the dream world, uh, I sell this script and mm-hmm. lock in the ability then to say, okay, this is actually now feasible career path for me for the next couple of years and I will focus sure. all of my energies into that uh, and I've got a nice I got very lucky actually a, a, an old friend of mine from law school a few years above me was a barrister over in London and then last year ended up on the blacklist shortlist uh, as well as the nickel shortlist and had his film subsequently purchased by Universal wow uh, yeah brilliant story uh, and I cannot wait to see that film assuming it actually gets into production yeah, but he has very kindly been a, a voice of, I suppose, criticism for the script and offering me notes and such, uh, but also advice and encouragement. But if nothing else, it's his current trajectory is is very much what I would like to try and emulate, which is, you know, 
give up on everything else for a little while and just see if you can make it because there's probably never a better time to do it than now. Uh, because if not now, then I'd say it would be another 20 years before you've established yourself in whatever it is you end up doing. And then this becomes your retirement project. So that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to do that. And I'd like to start playing ice hockey. Is that a practical thing? I can skate. Uh, I can't really skate backwards, which is half the battle. Uh, and I also cannot coordinate the hitting of a puck with a hockey stick. It's just a different length to anything I've ever used. But one of my best friends, two of my, two of my best friends are Canadian. He plays hockey uh, and has very, very uh, kindly offered to teach me and is very keen to get me in because it's a, a growing sport in Australia, but it needs mm. more people coming in. Uh, and I love it. I think Australians would be world champs at ice hockey if it was cold enough here that we'd skate from birth because it's everything we love in sport. It is fast and it's yeah. violent and it's exciting. It is such a great sport. I do enjoy it. I get to Canada quite often, so I get to see a lot of it on TV when it's in season. Yeah. I've been to one live game. It was during the NHL strike. So it was just <laughs> oh, no. the Canadian League. Uh, and, but that was that was interesting enough. Let me tell you, watching the Calgary Hitmen play, I don't know the Saskatchewan Sasquatch or whoever they Poutine Bevanux. Yeah, probably. Uh, it, it was. I am still amazed that at the level of violence that is allowed within the context of hockey, and I don't just mean bumping into each other and that sort of stuff. I mean when two guys size each other up and go the punch. It's it's in the rules. That's what blew me away. I know. It's in the rules of what to do when a fight breaks out is that the two teams separate, go to their sides. One ref comes in and officiates the fight. The fight continues uh, until they're down on the ice. And there are mm. all these traditions and pieces of etiquette about initiating a fight. You know, gloves off means you're going to fight, but just fronting up to someone doesn't necessarily mean there's a fight. It's it's unbelievable that this still exists in sport. Um, but there's that great quote, you know, I was at a, a fight when a hockey game broke out. It is, it's, it's definitely getting out of the game. You know, the, the penalties being attached to it, make it not worthwhile for a, a sportsman. But mm. you know, I suppose it's one of those little qualities that makes the sport unique. Yes. Let's call it unique. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much for, for talking with me today. I've really appreciated the things that you've said. Please know that you're highly valued and, and the things that you've said are very special. Thank you. Oh, well, that's, you can say that to me every morning if you want. Call him from Colorado every day, Steve. Oh, and I shall. It's been my absolute pleasure. Very clearly you are on Twitter. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? Uh, well, my Facebook, I'd, I've got the, I changed my name because I was just getting too many weird people, which is very nice, but that's, that's sort of a, I think I heard Ben Law describe it as a closed shop on this on this podcast. And I think that's an excellent description. Facebook mm. is just really for me and my friends. Um, the other thing that I, I do is Instagram now. Uh, in fact, I'm probably much more active on that than anything else. I don't really, I tweet once a week, maybe, you know, a bit of a non sequitur, but Instagram, I, I find quite a fun place to just put up little funny pictures for anyone who cares to look at them. So that's simply at X X T G S, which is my old lawyer user code for the printer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just couldn't think of anything else to put there. My name seemed dumb. So yeah, if anyone well, wants, it makes to, it easy to find, right? Very much so. Yeah, although everyone thinks it looks like a porn account, um, you know. And maybe I'll start putting porn up there if I if I'm not getting any followers. It's all about the views, Tom. 
got to get them, don't you? It's like Pokemon for social media. <laughs> Gosh. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> this has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Tom Glasson is indeed human. Validated. <laughs> <laughs>